I welcome you here this morning. I'm so glad you could join us. It's a warm one outside. And it's so nice to be able to come into a place in spite of circumstances or conditions to, to worship with God's people. We've been in the book of Acts. <laughs> Most of you know that. It, it's a biblical history of the church. Paul, well, the apostle that we're focusing on right now, was sent to share the gospel and to plant churches. Last week, if you're with us, Paul stopped at Miletus, a port city, just a little bit below Ephesus, on his way to Jerusalem, where he shared his heart with dear ministry leaders, with, with comrades that he had spent the last three years serving with, people he wouldn't see anymore. And he wanted to make sure, even though he has done ministry with them and served them and taught them, I, I just want to make sure that you understand what's really, really important to me and in the kingdom. As you remember, our text ends with this group of grown men hugging, crying, and praying as Paul gets on this ship. Today, we resume our study in Acts chapter 21. We're going to see the importance of Christian community and better understand what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to warn you, though. Some of the verses and texts we're going to use today are so familiar. In fact, so familiar that you may tune them out. I want to encourage you, whenever you read any text anywhere that's familiar, maybe that's the time you say, Lord, what's new? What's fresh? What do you need to teach me today? That's what I hope will happen. That each one of us will leave transformed, changed, different because that's what God's Word does. Let me pray first. Almighty God, Creator, Redeemer, the one Lord who sustains our world, who loves us and wants to be involved with us. Lord, that alone just boggles our mind. We don't understand all those things. How you can speak in a world and a galaxy was formed. How you can be involved in every one of our lives. There's so many people here. There's so many things going on. Lord, how you're sovereign. You're king. But God, we accept that. We trust you. We believe that, even in our unbelief. And we ask you this day that, that you would do something personal in our lives. That you would use your word and realistically the Apostle Paul who models for us what it means to follow you with all of his heart. Lord, there's some really amazing things that happen in our story today. Things that will shake us up in some ways and will 
give us inspiration. We pray, Lord, that we would learn. And that if the Spirit convicts us, that you would change us from the inside out. God, we know that when your word goes out, it does those things. So we ask that you would do it today. But God, we know that our church is not the only church that's proclaiming your word, that's worshiping you, that are lifting our hands up in prayer. We know there's a plethora of churches all over the world. But right in our neighborhood, Father, there's redemption, and there's Fierce Church, and there's Wonder Lake Bible Church. In fact, Father, today, Brendan, our worship leader, is leading worship at Wonder Lake Bible. And we pray, dear God, that you would be especially with that congregation, with that flock, and that they would be encouraged and they would be strengthened. We ask you, dear Father, that you would use this time to help us evaluate, to give us a sense of what to do and that we would leave changed. We love you, Father, and pray all these things in your Son's name. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 21. I'm going to have read for us the first 14 verses. If you would, follow along in your Bible or look up at the screen. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kaz. The next day, we reached Rhodes and then went to Patera. There, we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went aboard, and they returned home. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day, we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up. The Lord's will be done. There's much in today's scripture that talks about hugs and tears and prayer and the cost of following Jesus. 
But we're going to focus, first of all, on the beauty of Christian community. What is it? Well, we know because we've been studying in Acts that way back in Acts chapter 2, we saw that Christian community was critical in the growth of the church. There were clusters of people gathered to learn and to eat meals and to worship and to pray together. You see, Christian community happens when a church interacts as a family. We all respond differently when we hear that word family. We do. Images of grandparents or parents or siblings or aunts or uncles or cousins, they all fill our mind. And some of them are not really pretty. Sometimes there's strife in families. Sometimes families are divided. Every once in a while, families come together and enjoy each other. And what a blessing if you have one of those families. But in families, when grace is extended and sacrificial love is practiced, <laughs> you simply want to be part of that family. You, you want to experience that. You've seen how that happens and desires, whoa, I not only want to be part of it, but I want my family to be just like that. Now, there are no perfect families. We know that. There's always things that don't go well, but there really are loving ones. Now, ultimately, the church is a family who sacrificially loves one another. All we want is that. We do. But sometimes faithlessness in God and selfishness on our part often thwart relationships. There's little doubt that if you had Paul in your midst or in your church, that he was polarizing. There's, you know, people understood that Paul cared for them. But Paul exhausted you. You would walk in, and not only his teaching, but his practices, and the way that he would challenge you, the way that he lived out life. But Paul also loved the flocks well. So in spite of this polarizing effect, Paul cared. It still made people a little bit uncomfortable. But as our story unfolds, it's understandable how the elders loved Paul. It is. He spent a long time with the Ephesian elders. They did a lot of ministry together. Well, it seems rather normal that there'd be tears and hugs and, and weeping when he would leave. But the reaction in our text today that we just read of the believers in Tyre and Caesarea, two different towns seems rather unordinary. But at the end of one week, that was it, that he spent entire while the ship was being unloaded, the folks entire 
In fact, the entire congregation, the people that he had met with for that week, including the women and the children, they knelt and they prayed before he left. They all came to the site. He had made an impact. And you wonder, go like, whoa. Now, maybe Paul knew some believers in Caesarea, which we're going to get to in a moment, but probably not at Tyre. He gets off, he gathers folks who are believers, he hangs out with them for a week, and they are affected. It may feel a little bit like a week at camp, where you end up going to a place where, well, hundreds of other people are. You may have never met them before. But somehow as you hang out with them for a week and you worship with them and you learn from them and you experience life with them, at the end of the week when people, <laughs> kids especially, get on the buses, there's tears and there's hugs. Will I ever see you again? That's the feeling. The scriptures tell us that in Caesarea, Maybe he had some relationships there. But in Caesarea, all the local believers begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. They knew that there was going to be problems there. There was going to be suffering there. And so these believers, out of love for Paul, said, Don't go. Don't go, Paul. Please. It showed that they cared. You know, our community can love others sacrificially. But we can only do that if we walk with God. There is no doubt that Paul loved Jesus and loved people and made an impact wherever he went. People were drawn to Paul in spite of sometimes the things that he had shared. Then there's a little bit of a shift and Paul models for us literally what following Jesus looks like. Now, this is the passage I was warning you about because Jesus clearly taught about following him. And if you turn to Mark chapter 8 in your Bibles or you want to follow up on the screen behind me, you've all read this text, I, I'm pretty sure. You've heard it. You've maybe even memorized it. But let me read it again. And may God use us in our lives this morning. Now Jesus, again, to put it in context, is living with these 12 guys, but really going all over the area, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. But at this moment, he warns his disciples. Verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples. Then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. Yeah. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Wow. You look at this. And it's shocking in some ways, but all the way through, while Jesus was living on this planet, he would warn his disciples over and over and over again, there's going to come a time when I am going to go to Jerusalem and they are going to put me on a tree and I'm going to be treated maliciously and I am going to die, but I am going to rise again. They heard that. Now maybe in the beginning they didn't say much. Maybe they didn't even understand what Jesus was saying. But at this point, Peter responds. <laughs> Jesus, 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 my buddy Jesus. <laughs> Let's talk about this. You and I, we're pretty close. We're hanging out with one another. I love you to pieces. You must have this wrong. Peter maybe thought at that moment Jesus would look at him and just say, oh, you know what, you're right, Peter. Maybe I just don't need to go to the cross. Maybe I don't need to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> but that's not what he said. In a moment, he looked right at Peter, looked him in the eye, and said, get behind me, Satan. No, if anybody ever does that to you, that's got to shake you up a little bit. But when Jesus says it to you, you're like, oh, whoa! What, what are you talking about? Then Jesus clearly states again what life looks like as a disciple. It's almost like, don't you get it? Paul embraced Christ's words, as we're going to see in our text today. Jesus said, hey, you want to be a disciple, you want to be a follower, you need to deny yourself. Put your needs last. Not focus on what's important to you. You need to pick up your cross. You need to recognize that following me is going to bring suffering. A cross was horrific. Why do we think suffering sometimes is inconvenience? Jesus was never inconvenienced when he was crucified. He was mutilated. And he said, you need to follow me. I, I'm the Lord. I'm the master. When I talk, you need to listen. Sometimes, again, we think God's word contains suggestions. Well, that would be nice if this were the circumstance. But God's word is God's word. And, and I ask you, even as we read this right now, don't you have to stop and just evaluate? I mean, maybe the majority of us, as we walked in this door, if there was a little questionnaire that, that asked you, are you a disciple of Jesus? 
Well, maybe every one of you would check that box. But Jesus was really clear. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to live your life less focused on you. It's really hard for most of us because we almost live all of our lives focused on us. We make almost every decision on what benefits us. But Jesus says, I'm changing that. If you want to be called a disciple of mine, you must seek first my kingdom. What benefits my kingdom? What benefits my mission? Not what makes you comfortable. That's bothersome. And that I want you to know that you will suffer by doing this. We'll say, Rick, I, I don't live in a certain part of the country where, again, my head would come off if I am a, a Jesus follower. But, but you will suffer right here in the United States if you follow Jesus. And it may be heart persecution. But it might be bank account. And it might be calendar. And it might be, well, lots of different things. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you want to be a disciple. You need to deny yourself. You need to pick up your cross. And lastly, it almost feels like a no-brainer, but you got to listen to me. When I say something, when I share with you from my word, it's not, do I want to do this? It's how can I obey you? Now, Paul, what is so amazing right here is he understood this. And not only did he understand it, literally what he did is model it for us. Let me give you some examples. First of all, Paul clearly heard from God. If you just go back in your text in, in Acts chapter 19, which we covered a few weeks ago, but Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 21, Paul says this. Afterwards, Paul was in Ephesus at this time, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. It was really clear right there that Paul was called to Jerusalem. Yeah, he was. The Spirit prompted him. And then jump over to chapter 20, starting at verse 22 and 23. Paul is talking again to the Ephesian elders right here on his stop at Miletus. And he's saying this, and now I'm bound by the Spirit. The Spirit is actually pushing me to go to Jerusalem. I don't actually know what awaits me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in every city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead for me. Okay, God's really clear once you go to Jerusalem, but it just really doesn't matter if you go to Jerusalem. Well, I mean, it matters if you go, but whatever city you go to, it doesn't matter, Paul. I just want you to know, you know what the results are going to be? Jail and suffering. Yes. That's what I've called you to do, Paul. 
I want you to listen to me. I want you to proclaim the gospel. But I want you to know that in many places, it's not going to be received. He understood Christ's words when he taught his disciples. He knew what it was to be a follower of Jesus, and he lived it out. Now, the question comes to me, we all probably want to check the box, I want to be a Jesus follower. Most of you probably. I do want to be a disciple. I want to be known by that. I want to be a disciple. But honestly, we have to ask the question, how did Paul do that? How did Paul literally embrace the fact that whatever city he was going to go to, it's going to be hard? Lord, just take me home. Heaven's got to be better than this. Please. But that wasn't God's plan. So how did he do it? I'm going to have you go back, and we skipped over this last week. If you go back to Acts chapter 20, verse 13. And, and this is what I want to say. I think something happened to Paul on his alone trip to Asos or Asus. It's a very unfortunate name in our culture. All right? But that's what it is. And it's just a little line. He was traveling back to Jerusalem. This was right before he went and saw the Ephesian elders. Okay? One little line. Paul went by land to Assos. Okay, that should stick out to some of you because Paul literally, for the most part, never went anywhere himself. He always brought people with him. He was modeling, he was encouraging, he was teaching. He was discipling men and women all the time. But in this case, what happened? He said, you guys go by boat, and you can see on the screen, up there in Alexandria, Troas, and all the way down to Assos. You go by boat there. I'm going to travel, actually, the Roman road. And I just want you to know it's going to be a two-day trip, a 31-mile trip by himself. Some teachers, some Bible students will look at this time in Paul's life as Paul's Gethsemane, as the garden experience that Jesus went through. Lord, I know I'm going to suffer. I don't want to do it. Is there any other way? Not my will, though, but yours. I think for two days, Paul was alone. In two days, he wrestled. In two days, he heard that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. And he understood that it was going to be hard. And I think by the time he met the rest of his people who had sailed by ship, he had come to grips with what God is calling him to do. He spent time alone. He spent time listening, I believe. And he spent time submitting to what God was asking him to do. Now, I want to just say this. I think this alone trip 
was key in Paul's journey. But I want to go one step further. I don't think we, as followers of Jesus, will make it without some of these alone trips. You see, we love to stay busy, and we love to be able to <laughs> be part of the action. But especially in this culture, it's so hard to find quiet. It's so hard to find alone. I teach a class up in northern Wisconsin, and one of the things I ask our students to do is a four-hour silence and solitude exercise. For those 19, 20, and 21-year-olds, it's almost death. I just want you to know. But it's something what I'm trying to do is encourage them to be able to hear and listen to God. I think it's important for each one of us. I know of a guy that basically goes golfing by himself. He always wins, don't worry. But he stops at different holes praying and talking and listening to God. So I don't know your method. I don't. But I know this, that each one of us needs some alone time with God to listen to God, to let God talk to us, to encourage us, and to sometimes come to a place and say, you know what, God, what you're asking me to do is really hard, but I'm going to do it. Because you have asked me to do that. Now it's interesting, if you look at Chapter 21, go back to verse 4. The perspective of the um, believers in Tyre. All right. I'm going to read verses 4 through 6. Paul again is on his way back. He is going and heading to Jerusalem. Here's what he says, verse 4. We went ashore, found the local believers. Again, I, I don't think... He had met them before, at least from my understanding, and stayed with them a week. That's how long it took to unload the, the ship. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city, came down to the shore with us. Then we knelt and prayed and said our farewells, then we went aboard, and they returned home. Now, I just got to tell you, in some ways, this portion is tough to translate. Almost every one of your translations, no matter which one you use, it will seem to contradict what Paul was supposed to do. The phrase, through the Spirit, is inconclusive. I, I just want you to know. It literally means that believers with the spiritual gift of prophecy spoke. We have to look at the rest of the context when you look at a verse and it seems to be confusing to actually discern what happened here. We know that the Spirit of God didn't say to Paul, go, and that these believers heard from the Spirit of God and said, don't go. God doesn't work that way. We do know it's clear that the Spirit is guiding Paul to go to Jerusalem. We know that it's clear that the Spirit has revealed that there will be suffering in Jerusalem. It is also clear by that context and looking at this that the warning was divine, but the urging was 
human. Let me say it this way. Many concerned voices accurately saw Paul's future. He owned it, and all these other folks knew what would happen to him in Jerusalem. He knew that he would be persecuted and suffered. But they gave him advice from their own desires. They didn't want to see their friend Paul suffer. Well, we're going to come back to this in a moment, but I'd like to further read what happened starting at verse 7 of chapter 21 when we looked at what happens in uh, Caesarean believers. And then this, this will make sense, I think. The next stop, verse 7, after leaving Tyre was Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed there only for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. Remember way back in Acts chapter 5 and 6 when the deacons were, were um, uh, appointed in that early church? He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over and took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, now this has been a pretty consistent theme, folks, wherever Paul goes. When we heard this, we... That means his team. And all the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Whoa. Even his team knew that it was right, but because of the pain he would endure, said, don't go. Don't go. And then verse 13. But, but Paul said, why, why all this weeping? And breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. You know, the Spirit all the way through this clearly revealed Paul's fate and that there would be suffering. But all the way through it, because of, well, all of the folks' great love for Paul. Paul's friends were begging him not to go. And then as we just read in verse 12, I just want to highlight this, verse 12, this is Dr. Luke. He's part of this team. And he says, hey, when we heard this, when again, Agabus ties you all up, we're starting to see this, we're starting to understand this, we, including Dr. Luke, is begging Paul not to go. Oh, this all makes sense because of their love for Paul. And Paul's answer is classic. Verse 13, well, why are you guys all crying? <laughs> I, I'm willing. I know what God's called me to do. I'm going to go. Now, Paul wasn't a masochist. He just knew that he was called to follow Jesus and that following Jesus would mean he would be suffering. 
Now, what I want to do is that there are some amazing discipleship principles found in our text. There are. Let me point out some things because, honestly, the majority of you, I think, want to follow Jesus better. You do. But when you realize what he's asking, sometimes we want to bail. Maybe this will be helpful. First of all, love people but love Jesus more, all right? It's important. I think you should value input from everyone, but follow God's will. I I think when you're following Jesus, there's something worse than dying, and that is not living. And I think Paul saw that. He knew that there would be life in obeying his Father. I think carrying your cross feels lonely. I think suffering for following Jesus is lonely. But we need to understand we're not alone. That's all. And I think following Jesus is costly. But listen to this next part. Not following Jesus is more costly. You don't hear that very often. Yes, you'll pay a price. Yes, I need to be more God-focused and kingdom-focused and not more Rick-focused or selfishly-focused or family-focused. What we don't realize is that when we don't follow Jesus, we pay a greater price. Now Paul began to experience a growing tension between the leading of the Spirit and the advice offered by godly people who care deeply for him. Are you seeing that? And I want you to know, this happens more than you think. No one wants to oppose God or his will, but sometimes people who deeply love you, deeply care about you, Don't give you good advice because they want you to stay safe. They want you to stay comfortable. They want you to invest well. They want you to have all the toys and all the perks. They want you to be comfortable. Sad to say, I see godly parents, leaders in various churches doing this very thing as their kids get into high school in college, and our young adults. Here here's some guidelines that may be able to help you help others stay the course. We never want to get in God's way. We want to encourage people. And sometimes that's hard because our perspective is different than God's perspective. Guideline number one, focus on the word and prayer when giving or receiving advice. At times, God's will is pretty specific, and other times, there is great freedom. There really is. When God says, give thanks, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, excuse me, when he says, don't complain about anything, but give thanks for everything, that's pretty specific. Literally, if you complain, God says, That's not my will. That is sin. 
You don't understand I'm sovereign. You don't understand that I'm king over the universe. But instead, every circumstance that comes to your life, say thank you. You may not understand it. You may not see it. But say thank you. There's other times when God focuses on generosity and wants each believer to give freely and abundantly. But you know what? Never specifically tells us how much. What did that look like? But we have great freedom in order to be able to be generous and to give. You know, the word guides and prayer empowers. Guideline number two, be discerning when you ask for advice. Ones who love you the most may be focused more on your health than on kingdom health. I think sometimes listening to various voices is wise and to take the, uh, time on major decisions. I think parents and pastors who are involved in your lives sometimes are blinded. I encourage often that people ought to talk to folks outside of their circumstances who are godly, that walk with God and are able to help you and give you perspective that you might not ordinarily have. We all have a bent to protect our kids, no matter how old they get. It's very unusual for parents who are godly to say, hey, I want what's best for you. But if that's going to happen, I want you to listen to Jesus above me. Maybe our advice will be the same. But if it differs, please listen to Jesus. Do that. The third guideline, ultimately please God. Humans are fallible. In the end, we simply need to please God and make decisions we can with the information that we have available. Accepting the possibility that we didn't hear from God well and you may have made a wrong move. Rather than becoming paralyzed with indecision, which so many of us struggle with, use the time you have available to determine the best course of action. Commit it to the Lord and then move ahead. All of our decisions in our limited perspective have upsides and downsides. You can hardly make a decision on, on pros and cons. It, you can't. So listening to God and trusting God, even if it doesn't make sense, is always a win. Because what we have to realize is that our God is king and that his perspective and eyesight are often different than ours. You know, over the years, I have personally found that God's will often conflicts with people who want you to experience the best of life. That's a little weird, isn't it? In fact, if you ask God what you want to do with your life, how to follow, say, well, you know what, I'm going to deny myself. Well, loved ones are not going to like that. I am going to expect to suffer. Loved ones are not going to like that. 
I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And loved ones, in some ways, are not going to like that because they think they know what's best for you. This was Paul struggling, working with people, respecting people, but all of them struggling with him going to Jerusalem, which was God's will for him at that time. You know, I see this again, especially as kids who are growing up high school years and college years, and for some reason God gets a hold of their lives, and and they'd like to maybe... I I heard this a lot, serve camp all summer long. And good parents, you got to make some money. I, I don't actually know what's right or what's wrong. But I know this, is that oftentimes kids may want to serve somewhere, go on a short term mission trip, maybe even go into missions. And you will hear parents say over and over, hold it, hold it, you are way too smart for this. Why would you waste your time working with Aka Indians in South America? Oh, that would be pathetic. You see, missions history is filled with accounts of missionaries who left people and possessions for dangerous places even though friends and family urged them to choose different paths. I've seen it over and over and over again when guys and gals have wanted to go into ministry and parents have talked them out of it. You read histories like Jim Elliott, David Livingston, William Carey, Adoranum Judson, C.T. Studd, and John G. Payton. If you've never heard of those guys, you read any of their biographies and your jaws will drop. Jim Elliott, who I may be the most familiar with only because I went to Wheaton and that's where he went, he was one of the five missionaries, one of the most brilliant guys in that school. And he was told over and over again, don't waste your time going to South America, working with the Aka Indians. It's not going to go well for you. And you know what? It didn't. He was slaughtered on the beaches with four other missionaries maliciously as he tried to share what most didn't know is that Act alone was something that brought a tribe to faith eventually. These savages. It's worth it. I think to Jim it was. I have found often that outsiders who are godly, who walk with God, can sometimes give the best wisdom on where to move and where to serve and what to do. Because sometimes our closest people are blind and only want what's best for us. When Jesus said, if you follow me, 
If you follow me, deny what's best for you. Expect to suffer. You will suffer. How many parents sign that up for their kids? Whoa! I want you to follow Jesus. But I want you to have a nice car. I want you to have a great job. I want you to have a thriving ministry. Let's do it. Following Jesus means denying yourself. It means expecting to suffer. And it means you're going to obey when it doesn't make sense. And there was Paul, Acts chapter 21, a missionary recognizing, I need to follow Jesus. Man, those Ephesian elders are awesome. Yeah, the believers entire, I, I appreciate. Hey, those in Caesarea, they all want what's best. Even my own team, my team, my seven guys that I've been doing this, they're saying, don't go to Jerusalem. You know, God's mission is unfinished. We have been called in Acts to share good news and to make disciples and encourage others on the journey. Christian community is critical for the journey of following Jesus well. I believe that. And I think we all need to grow. We need to grow in being family. We need to grow in loving others sacrificially. But we also need to grow in helping others follow Jesus. Spending alone with time with the king. Hearing from the king and trusting the king to do the impossible. <laughs> this book gets better and better. It inspires us, but it also convicts us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul because, Lord, if we're honest, we want to follow you, but we, we don't like denying ourselves and we don't like suffering and we don't like submitting. Wow. We don't. But God, that's wise. That's the best. God, raise up today in this church, in your church, people who follow you with all their hearts, that this community would grow in their unity and their love for each other and for you. God, would we be a sending station, a loving station? God, would we learn to deny ourselves? We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.